Are you ready? Are you really, absolutely, truly and without a doubt ready to meet your moments, to make your moments, to step up and step in? Are you willing to really live your purpose? And not just like a game of charades, but really own it. Let it exude from every part of you. That's what today's podcast is all about. I'm Lena Ski, hostess of the Supernova podcast, and this is your invitation to greatness. Yuna, welcome to the Supernova Podcast. It's absolutely amazing to have you here. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm really delighted to be here. I I was reading your profile, and I think before we we really tap into this inspirational work that you're doing, to everyone who's going to be listening, who's listening to this right now, I think we all just need to take a deep breath in and out, because today's talk is absolutely inspirational, absolutely revolutionary, and bursting through the stratosphere. Just to give you all a scoop, we've got a a person who's been an IBM exec, who was um, involved very much in creating a sustainable development program as part of Corporate Smarter Planet initiative. And just recently, he actually went to Parliament on the 14th of October and launched the Wellbeing Economy Report. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. That's taking your purpose to the highest level that you can do and really meeting your moments. You really epitomize that. So how did that come about for you? Like two absolute huge campaigns that you're involved in, two global movements. What's inspired all of this? Mm. <laughs> uh, great question. Thanks. Deep end. <laughs> As you said, breathe deeply. Um, well, if if I sort of start from where I am, and then I look at the history and look at the... Really, I'm retired now from IBM, and uh, I don't play golf. I think that's my problem. Uh, if I played <laughs> golf, I wouldn't have time for all this stuff. But um, John Kabat-Zinn, like, known as like the pioneer of mindfulness, he was over in England 2013, just last year. Um, and a friend of mine is doing a course at Bangor University where he was going to be giving, uh, attending their annual conference. He told me about it. That's going to be great to go along, you know, for the day workshop. So I went along and of course he, he's totally inspiring. And at the workshop, they said uh, that he's also going back to London where, where I live anyway. Um, and he was going to be attending a, a mindfulness in schools conference. So I duly attended that about a week later. And it was just so obvious that there was a, a chance to make a contribution to this area. Wow. So that, that's, what, that's what got me started, attending the Kabat-Zinn Mindfulness in Schools Conference, I think it was about April 2013. And that was just what you needed to spark that off. Yeah, it was so I mean, I, Oh, yes, I've been a meditator personally for what I'm talking 40-odd years now. But it had always really been, you know, a very personal journey, you know, my own personal quest, my own personal activity. And suddenly here was um, a fantastic opportunity and a necessary one to, to, to share it. No, it definitely is necessary. I think with, this, with us being in this day and age, there's just so much noise out there. There's so much pollution happening. 
we're feeling so disconnected and we've been compared to goldfish so many times but we're just living proof of it in terms of all the things that we're doing and to be able to ground ourselves and return to center and deal with the underlying medical problems and the health problems and all the stresses that are out there it's just exactly what the world needs right now absolutely and and we're very very fortunate here in uk that we do seem to have quite a few groups pioneering in this field so my my activity the, the mindfulness foundation um, campaign for mindfulness schools we are very much a campaign organization and i was lucky I, I learned that because when i retired from ibm i did um some well actually while i was there and in early retirement i did some volunteer work with an organization called results i'm sure you know about it yes. who campaigned to address world development um and and that was um, really enlightening for me because I had never done anything like that. And they were really effective in teaching you how to contact your local uh, MPs, members of parliament in our case, and how to ask them, that's the big word, A-S-K, ask them to do things for you. And so I did that for results. They, they trained me, uh, and I really had a, a great relationship with my own local MP guy called Edward Davey and in those days, let's get back you know, five years, he was just a backbencher with someone called Lib Dems uh, but nevertheless he was really enthusiastic in writing letters to the World Bank or writing letters to our government and you know, asking to do the things I asked and so we formed a great relationship and then how these things work by the time I decided uh, to start my own initiative and uh, focusing on mindfulness in schools for children he had, uh, well, the government had changed. They were in coalition with the Conservative, and he was a, a Minister of State at that time. <laughs> and, of course, a Minister of State carries a bit more weight than a backbench MP. So, again, stars aligned. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. And just a, so we continued doing what I had been trained by results to do, uh, but just doing it on behalf of Mindfulness for Children. What was it about that particular campaign that just pulled you in? What, mindfulness for children? Well, it, the main thing is, for me, meditation, I've really focused or been able to focus on, on the benefits in my life. You know, the bliss, the joy, the serenity, the ability to listen to your own intuition. And that's what really, I think that was one of the biggest things in my life, is to listen to that small, quiet in a voice and just do what you have to do, not worrying too much that the world outside thought this was a bit mad and not quite appropriate, it's certainly not the right time to do it. So that's, that, that, that had worked for me. And then with the children, it was so obvious that these positive benefits could be a, a real necessary, you know, for all the, as you say, the, the stresses and strains that they have to deal with in their daily life. And also, then what's happened since then, while I sort of got involved thinking, oh, great, share all these positive benefits of meditation with the next generation, um, then it's become clear to me, you've got the two sides. It's actually continuum. On one side, you have the benefits, but the other side, as you well know, things like mindfulness are used for helping people with depression or who are stressed or are suffering from anxiety. And since working on the campaign, um, mental illness in UK costs us £100 billion a year. 
And the latest uh, scientific findings from the chief medical officer show that 75% of all mental illness can be identified by the age of 18. So if we can do something to help prevent those problems and give support at that younger age when people might be start developing issues and therefore preventing it becoming a full-blown illness, that, that's an amazing contribution. For sure, definitely. I mean, these things really can be cured with such simple things. It's only once they start really manifesting into almost life tortures and diseases that, you know, the work still needs to be done. And of course, there are certain levels of work to be done and it can be resolved. But it's just so much easier when you tap into it from a younger age and you, you evolve into it. I saw an episode on Oprah where she had actually put together a school like that in the States. And just seeing the power that those kids had where meditation was part of their curriculum, it changed everything about how they were putting themselves out there and the work that they were contributing and how they were co reacting with their community. It's really inspiring. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, what you want, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, isn't it? So the goal is to have it in all UK schools by 2022. Yes, in fact, you know, being an IBM, um, as we say, you can't manage something unless you measure it. So, as you say, it's a, a, you've got a, a very clear objective. Um, so, what's been happening here? We were lucky when we started um, the campaign back in early 2014. It only begins in January. They had just had the first debate in Parliament in December, where it was just discussed, you know, the actual issue. And here, I should say, this isn't all us. It, it happens that we have, like, um, as you say, it's a, when an idea whose time has come, suddenly all these little things start happening. You know, the, the people, the scientists are doing the research on mental health to say, we have a business case. And let's face it, governments only really act if they can see it's a financial benefit. So now we know it's a hundred billion a year problem. If something like mindfulness can help reduce that cost, therefore it gets attention. Of course, putting a number to it or a price to it always gets people's attention. Exactly. Uh, and so, and also, then we also have people like uh, there's a mindfulness in schools project who actually train the teachers. Uh, they're separate from us, entirely separate organization, but obviously focusing on, but they focus on training the teachers in the schools to deliver mindfulness and they've developed some tremendous teaching aids and then you have other um, other politicians and there are a few of them who were interested enough to sort of open up discussions in parliament and what a place to initiate change than in parliament i mean obviously at grassroots level you can always initiate it but to bring it to that platform it's just mind-blowing yeah, and, and again, it's the, the, the timeliness of these things and the serendipity. We have two major people in the UK. We have a guy called uh, Richard Layard, who is Lord Richard Layard, but he was like a, a very senior international economist at the London School of Economics, who used to do work on, you know, various social economics. But he, a few years ago, started focusing on mental issues and all this type of thing. And he actually, you know, did the economics to sort of show the benefits of putting interventions in early. 
Uh, and then also, just in parallel with that, we had um, in our government system, we have something called the civil service. Uh, you know, it's all, all the people who run the country. Yes. And we had <laughs> we had a guy called God who ran it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. His name was Gus O'Donnell. Yeah. And for 11 years, under three prime ministers, he ran the entire civil service, you know? Uh, <laughs> with initials like that, obviously you're going to run something, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, it's Lord Gus O'Donnell, Sir Gus O'Donnell. But he retired only a year or so ago, and in his retirement, he was only a youngish guy, you know, 60-odd, uh, he has focused on well-being. So again, he's been working with the Prime Minister and people of influence to actually do working with Lord Leila to say, understand what are the economics of well-being. And now UK recognises the global leader in measuring well-being. That is absolutely phenomenal. I've got goosebumps hearing it. Because it's just, <laughs> it's so powerful. We all know it. We all know this body of work. And we all know the power of it. But to have it spotlighted and broadcast and showcast under this specific platform is just so powerful. Well, thank you, Lena, for actually also, you know, this is adding another um, another layer to the whole thing by communicating it like this. Absolutely. I'm glad to be part of the, the contribution to that. Yeah, it's fantastic that we all work together like this. So we, we, we're lucky in UK that we have um, people with political influence and have spent their whole life in the establishment who, for whatever reason, you know, found that this is very important to them. And, of course, well-being provides the context for mindfulness. Uh, well-being is a, a very general thing. And, and I've just finished that Berkeley University course, The Science of Happiness, and that has like eight or nine modules, and one module is mindfulness. There's all the other things, obviously, about um, gratefulness and uh, spontaneous acts of kindness, and all these things are aspects of being a happier person. But mindfulness is a key component. So when it comes to well-being, and we start measuring children's and people's well-being, we all know, and the science proves it now, that mindfulness is one of the most important practices you can you can. Well, as a CEO and founder of the Mindfulness Organization, how would you define mindfulness? Very good. Really, it's focusing on the present moment, being aware of what's happening, what thoughts, what feelings are arising in yourself in the present moment. And they use the word non-judgmental, but it's really just being kind with yourself, seeing what's happening and accepting it. When mindfulness and meditation first kind of came up, it's it's gotten a bit of a bad rep over the over the decades, um, with it kind of being a trend. But it feels like now that's shifted, and I think now that there's also that price to it, people are going to take it a lot more seriously, and it's not just going to be something that's fashionable right now and something that goes away the next day. What, what's your thoughts on that? I think so. There's a very very key point. Thanks for raising that. Um, the model that people are beginning to use is the one of sport. As I understand it, 50 years ago, if you imagine you're going to run around a park or, or take a bike out, you know, you'd be looked as a semi-mad person, you know. Uh, and 
it is fascinating. If you study sport, how sport has removed from just being a very odd thing practiced by eccentrics to being something which is integrated, exercise, sport, into everybody's life. We know how important it is. And it has the political will. You know, look at the Olympics, which London hosted just a little while back. And the political will to actually ensure that it's available, the facilities are available, the training's available. Uh, you know, it has the political will. So mindfulness is in the same situation. We are campaigning to make sure that mindfulness is as popular as sport and as politically important as sport. Two very key elements to bring into it. Mm. Yeah, because that, that political importance anchors it. And it allows it to cross so many gene pools and so many boundaries. Yeah, I mean, it hasn't happened yet. Let's face it. I mean, this is what we're looking for. And there are some leading schools. In fact, oh, that's another edge um, in UK. Very interesting, because we have a, a two-school system, the same as you do, well, similar, I suppose, to the US. We have something called the state schools, which are paid for through our taxes. And we have what's called private schools, which where wealthier people pay to send their children. And in you, of course, the private schools are few and far between relative to the state schools, and they have a minority of the population, often politicians, that go to the private schools. But the the private schools have actually um, majored on this because uh, in that sort of um, hot house of achievement, which they are, they've recognised very early uh, the importance of well-being and emotional support for their pupils. And they are leading. And in fact, just now, I think there's two conferences this month hosted by the private schools in UK. One's an international conference where people are coming to attend and find out, you know, the power of mindfulness in the school setting. But it's led by the, by the private sector, which is very interesting. Well, again, I think that's a way of, of bringing it in because then once... You know, they're being the pioneers in it. They're seeing the opportunities in it. And as it grows and builds and takes on a bigger mass thing, then it's just going to become a way of being. It's just going to then run through Parliament and just be the way it's supposed to be, as it should be in the world. And, and just a, another sort of cross-interest. So it's actually 18th of November. It's called Mindfulness in the Cur Curriculum. Uh, and then it, we have... Um, 27th of November, Mindfulness and Wellbeing, an international conference for schools. Now, that's being hosted by a guy called Sir Anthony Seldon, and he, he's a very famous headmaster in private schools. He's the one who um, really um, put it on the agenda from the school's point of view, from private schools. Uh, but he's also will be writing the biography of our current prime minister. He's a very famous historian, right, in his part spare time. So another, again, it's just interesting how the right people arrive in the right place at the right time. Absolutely. And, I mean, you mentioned uh, John Kabat-Zinn earlier, um, but I know that you're also very influenced by the works of Osho and a couple other people who are quite influential in mindset and meditation and creating a new way of being. Well, absolutely. I mean, for me, the, the major influences of my own life have been Osho, who's my meditation master, what, since 82, I think, yeah. Um, Buckminster Fuller, who, uh, you know, a very famous American thinker, architect, 
Uh, and more recently, John Kabat-Zinn, who's taken meditation, which is what, a 5,000-year-old practice, and put it in a secular context, which is then uh, acceptable to, to, to the Western mind. So um, I, I'm very fortunate with my teachers. Of course, because I'm glad you brought in the Western mind for part of it, because this has been around for centuries, more than that. And it's still just penetrating our world and we're still very unaware of just how magical it is and really what can come out of it. We all know that there's this peace and serenity part of it but the more you step into it the more things really unfold and it becomes a journey unlike any other journey. I know we just landed on one of those comments where we're constantly looking at new innovations outside of ourselves. Right. But this is the way to really pioneer what's happening within our own universe, within ourselves. Yeah, I think uh, a, a, another key point you're making there, because that is the transition we're going through. Up until now, we in the West have been very focused outside. Uh, we're now beginning to realize that it's our, our inner, it's our inner thoughts, our inner being, which creates the external environment, and we really need to take stock and make sure we have a much healthier internal environment and mindfulness is a major contributor to that. Of course. And then I also noticed on the website um, one of your upcoming summits is the Mindfulness Leadership Summit which looks really exciting on the 14th and 16th of November. Yeah, that's actually in Washington DC. Is that in Washington? Will you be attending yes. that? Uh, no, no. I, um, I could be attending so many things. <laughs> I'm sure. And I totally accept the leadership, especially like in schools. Um, it, it's absolutely important that the leadership of the school is really all important. Um, but I, I'm really, for myself, just trying to restrict it to things which are specifically focused on the schools. Uh, that, that's the, the best contribution I can make. Yeah, and of course, mindfulness is a great way to avoid overwhelm. And the current phrase, which is, I mean, really much pioneered by um, the, the author of The Emotional Intelligence, um, who did some major work in this. Uh, and the words he uses nowadays is great because he talks of focus, Daniel Goldman, of course. And his recent book called Focus uh, is a fantastic way to, to look at the power of mindfulness. It's also a great word to use in communicating with people who are not so familiar with, with meditation. There's also been a bit of a mystery around meditation, mindfulness, and focus. Because people assume it's like, well, aren't you supposed to not be focusing on anything? Aren't you supposed to be a clear vessel? And then there's all these other schools of thought on, it's about zoning in and decluttering. So it's mm -hmm. really navigating all those different elements and finding what works for you in that. Yeah, absolutely. That that that's um, another great point you make is um, you find out what what is most appropriate for you. And in the children's teaching, obviously we don't talk about all the highfalutin meditation uh, aspects of vipassana and how it comes from Buddhism and all that type of thing. It's actually built down to very simple things and simple little mnemonics which a child is happy to learn, uh, and actually graphics for it. And so there's a whole. The teaching thing has like eight or 12 components to it uh, with modern day life. For instance, one fantastic um, example they use, it's pictorial as well, is where you have like traffic systems, you know, and just show all the 
traffic going by, which are all your thoughts, and using little analogies and graphics like that to to uh, teach children in a way which they can uh, learn. And more importantly, they can le remember it. So when they are in exams or time of stress or things are emotionally um, uh, stressful, they can remember these little mnemonics and little um, methods uh, to actually help them in their own life. And I love that because it's a holistic thing. It's you're not just doing it, but you're also understanding why you're doing it and its contribution. Yes, and of course it can start off at a fairly simple level, but with practice, it deepens and um, you get more in touch with your, your deeper levels. So, have have you rolled it out with any kids already? Oh, oh yes, in UK we have, oh, I think maybe 200 schools already practicing mindfulness. But uh, at the moment, of course, it's an ad hoc thing. It's the, the local uh, head teacher will decide this is a good thing and they'll implement it. Uh, but what we really have to work at is getting it on the national agenda. And we have an organization in UK called Ofsted. They're responsible for measuring the performance of schools. And they actually have something called a school data dashboard, which is a fairly new innovation. And it has about like six little tabs, um, uh, six areas. And of course, all the things like the exam performance and those type of things are very well documented. Uh, but then when it comes to the child's well-being, at the moment, it has one little tab which says attendance. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great. <laughs> nothing to do with well-being. No, it's, well, it's called attendance, I mean, but I mean, the fact that obviously if the child doesn't go to school, there's problems and you can look into it. But as we know, well-being is a bit more broad than just attending school. So I think that the, the, the expectation is that very soon this attendance tab will be renamed well-being and then we'll add the appropriate agreed well-being measurements so that the school performance data dashboard will show the well-being performance as well as the academic performance. And in fact, only, I think it was just actually maybe two weeks ago, uh, we released in UK another document, and the government are really moving on this, uh, another document which um, pointed out that uh, the child's well-being is such an important influencer on their um, academic achievement. And I actually just saw a stat as well um, earlier today. I don't know how relevant, um, accurate it is, but it was saying that over 50% of our population is under the age of 30. So predominantly, with most of them being your primary school, high school students. So if oh, worldwide, well, of course, wide, yeah. And you know, you've got to start there because that's that's tomorrow. Right, right. Well, that's that, that's um, yeah, amazing. Um, yes, I, mean, I hadn't actually really quite thought that. Uh, yes, also, good point, you rate this whole global thing. Um, again, my own focus is just on UK, but then, of course, once we actually have uh, worked out how to do things and made it happen, then one would expect that to be shared with, with a wider audience. But again, not to get distracted at this time, even though there's fantastic things happening elsewhere. Well, the UK is a, a pretty nice big piece of the pie, so. Yeah, and the other nice thing, of course, is that we, we, we actually have a pretty diverse culture here. 
um, especially in places like London, where we have, you know, tremendous diversity of languages and populations and ethnic minorities. Um, so that actually is quite a good little spot to uh, develop and prototype uh, and trial things. Of course, and by nature it can then travel from there because London is such a travel spot. Exactly, that, that, that's the hope. Um, I just wanted to ask, going back to the curriculum part of it, are you then involved in defining the metrics that would come out of practicing mindfulness, or, or how, how will that be tracked? Oh, that's, uh, well, again, we're very lucky here, because we already have, I think it's four major universities uh, focusing on that. Um, it was started in Oxford University, which is a well-known international center of competence, ten years ago. And there was a big grant made by the Welcome Foundation to, you know, study uh, mindfulness and, and all that side. Since then, we now have something called Bangor University in Wales, and they are the biggest training centre in Europe of mindfulness teachers. And they've had thousands of people go through their courses to be you know, properly trained in mindfulness. And we now have Exeter University a bit more down south, who are really pioneering on the economics and the measurement. And so there's quite a lot of um, really um, uh, heavyweight academics working to define these metrics and, and these measurements. And in fact, uh, I think one of the leading people is uh, Professor Kathleen Weir, and she recently did a summary of more than 20 research papers on the effects of mindfulness on children and young people. Well, it's just such a testament to mindfulness that there are so many collaborators coming together in union. Mm, exactly. Because it, it, it just is the spirit of mindfulness. And, of course, the other um, fascinating um, new, the newest aspect, of course, is this whole thing on neuroscience. I mean, as you well know, in the USA, I think um, your president recently announced, what was it, a $100 billion uh, neuroscience um, investment. You just, we're already just beginning to learn how the brain works. Well, well I'm uh, actually from South Africa. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, but I know oh, sorry, that... that well, you're, you're based in South Africa. I'm based in South Africa, yeah. Oh, but okay. I know that the UK, I've been following their, their developments in mindfulness for some time. Yeah, so... Yeah, but, but, the neuroscience is a, 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 a real, that will actually validate even more scientifically the why all of us have to sort of have some sort of mental hygiene practice, whether you call it meditation or mindfulness. And then they also say a lot of, um, a lot of the education begins at home. Mm. Um, so obviously you're, 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 you're handling the school piece, which is obviously then going to then bounce back into the home because kids then pour out what they're learning and they carry on practicing that but for any of the parents that are listening in how can they support this culture oh fantastic yeah thank you for that uh, well it would be great if uh, any parent um, starts you know, communicating with their own school uh, about is mindfulness being taught and if not when is it going to be and just have a discussion they can go to our website which is mindfulness foundation and there's a whole section there on teaching and you can act as teachers and so on and parents and there's lots of resources you can get there but one vision i have and hope is that eventually if you think about it schools here finish at three thirty, four o'clock in the afternoon 
uh, you know, fantastic spaces which are often half empty come evening. Uh, why not have, you know, a mindfulness class in the school every week which parents and the teachers can attend? Uh, the space is there, the children already go there, the parents also need to learn, uh, and it's a f fantastic way to take things forward. And it also brings together, you know, which schools always try to do, it brings the teachers, the parents, and the children together. Exactly, yeah. Maybe that'll be the new mindfulness temple of the uh, current uh, decade. I was saying earlier, there is such a need for it, and as you just pointed out, there is a space for it. The curriculum's already in the process, schools are already doing it. It's just, feels like it's just a matter of time now, isn't it? Mm. But, uh, but also, that social element, the group meditation, I host, in fact, tonight, we have a big lounge where I am, and uh, we're having our third year anniversary uh, for a mindfulness. We host a, a weekly. Mm -hmm mindfulness group as it's our third birthday today Congratulations! <laughs> thank you um the bedroom was just bringing a plate of party food so after we've done our serious mindfulness we <laughs> have a little bit of a celebration um but people really get tremendous benefit out of meeting once a week with the intent of practicing together of course and when we, we get new people come by every now and again and they always comment that the difference in the practice and the quality and the focus just by being in a group sharing that intent is so dramatic of course well first of all you're in a place that's designed for it essentially because it's it's already been healed in that space it's already been anchored there's a group of people that are supporting you in your journey so you can always kind of feel like you've got the sense of belonging and yeah a lot of magic things happen in, in groups of people coming together we've seen that even if they're not meditating, but bringing in that mindfulness and whether you bring in that spiritual aspect or however you want to anchor it, just takes it to another dimension. Absolutely. And the other thing is the, the use of new technology. We, we appear on something called Meetup. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it. And, uh, you know, it, you can whatever your interest is, you'll find a group of people to share it with. And it's a fantastic medium for sharing things like mindfulness, because at the moment, let's face it, it's a small percentage of the population who are actually aware and, and practicing these things. And of course, that brings these groups together in a very effortless, easy, effective way. And then the network spread by word of mouth, and again, it starts to grow. And you're also mentioning the technology piece. Um, mm. I mean, you know, with media, with the internet with applications being the way it is, again, it just opens up so many more doors to accessing this kind of way of thinking and this content and this understanding that we never had before. Yeah, it, it's actually, it is amazing because on our website we have something called cognitive uh, and you have this two things. One, you have the science work in neuroscience on that cognitive side, but also you have what IBM now call my whole company, uh, the third era of computing which is these cognitive uh, computers, cognitive thinking. And I see an amazing role for those because what will happen really quite short time is that we'll be measuring children, um, mindful, measuring their well-being. <laughs> I don't think you measure mindful, but measure the well-being. Uh, and if, if 
there's like one end is right. If there are obviously, you know, problems, mental health uh, issues or problems, then of course the resources can be made available early on to prevent them becoming problems. But also you then, the child and the teacher are building up a record of what's happening. And of course cognitive computing means you, it's just already the answers, the questions and answers exist to uh, see how people feel about things and how, what state their well-being is. And that lends itself to computing so well and then we can learn from each other. So it's it's very interesting, and that that you know, because we we have nine million children here, so that's quite a lot of data to measure and manage, and and you can learn from that in, in a very powerful way. Got your work cut out for you. <laughs> well, someone has, someone has. <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> so so, what are your next steps? Where where you're focusing, or your intentions, lasering yourself right now? Well, this there this. The most important next step for us now is the we have a new election in May 2015. So our work, uh, the major focus of our work at this moment is ensuring that mindfulness is written into the manifestos of each of the political parties so that they know how important it is to um, ensure that they're thinking about this on the political agendas for whoever becomes our next government for the next five years, because that's 2015 to 2020. So that's our real key focus at the moment. Which is a big part of the work that you're doing leading up to 2022. Exactly, because, I mean, obviously, if we now, uh, because they're all, all be fighting to be elected, they're willing to listen to people <laughs> about what we would like them to be, you know, representing us for. So there's, an, there's a doorway, an opening for the next six months for small groups like ourselves to actually, you know, fly the flag and uh, have discussions about what should be on their political agenda. Well, Where once, once they're in power, uh, they're really so busy doing all the things they have to do, there's not quite so much time to listen. Well, it sounds like you've already cracked that with um, being showcase in that House of Parliament and United Nations floating around in the midst and, and all of the work that you've been doing and the organisations well, you've been doing. A start, a start to be made, yes. But of course, that isn't just us. I mean, we, we are contributing, but this is all sorts of groups. It's, um, it's an amazing. I mean, the, the, uh, the event, which I, I think I wrote a little thing on LinkedIn, was God, Moses, and the Tablets of Mindfulness. But it was actually in a room called the Moses Room, because there's a huge mural at one end of the room with Moses bringing the tablets down from the mountain. And we had uh, Lord Gus O'Donnell, God, actually have a wonderful picture of him with his hands in the air while he was talking about mindfulness, and Moses directly behind him. So it made quite a good picture. It couldn't have been a better room to do it in. Exactly. And, and what was lovely about it, that, that uh, presentation, that launch, was what we call an all-party parliamentary group. So it was all the three parties were represented in recommending that mindfulness should be taught to all doctors, all nurses, and all teachers. Teachers definitely need it because they're, they're going to be going into the schools. That the doctors need it so much. I mean, everybody needs it, but what three powerful places to start. Exactly. Yeah. 
Well, as we wrap up our conversation, is there any last inspirations or things that you want um, the rest of the world to know? Yes, thank you. The most important thing is just keep practicing. Really give yourself the time to practice meditation, to practice mindfulness yourself. And if you can, find a group that you can meet with once a week or once a fortnight and practice together. It's a really, a really rewarding activity to do. Definitely is. How often do you practice? Well, it's really a daily thing. Uh, but the group, the, the weekly group thing is always a, a blessing. Of course. Added bonus. And I suppose that that's the most important thing. But then secondly, if you do, um, if you are inclined and you have the motivation, please communicate with your own uh, education, you know, heads of education and your own uh, political parties about how you feel about mindfulness and, and making it available to the, our future children. Absolutely. It just starts with asking. Exactly. That's where the magic is. Exactly. So how can people follow this movement and find out more about this amazing work that you're doing? You've mentioned the, the website before. Is there any other places that they can be connecting? Uh, well, what we do on the Mindfulness Foundation, uh, that is two words, Mindfulness Foundation, but it's spelled as one word, .org.uk, we try to put links there for teachers, uh, for pathways, you know, how to learn mindfulness or how to teach mindfulness. Um, we relate also. We we do the we, we supply the Mindful magazine in UK, which of course is an American publication. Um, we also keep a list, which is a very good resource, media and resource. And so anything which comes out, like for instance, recently the Scientific American had it on the cover of their November edition. Uh, things like that. So a any important things that happen from a research or media point of view are on that page. So it's a fantastic resource. Um, uh, and if people, you know, are aware of other things, and conferences and things like that, if people are aware of other things, please let us know. So you really take the role of, of being the hub and the thought leader in that space. But in that focus space, yes. But with the collaboration of all the peers who have added to this work. Exactly. Because we say we're an advocacy and campaigning organization, but there's lots of tremendous organizations out there who are actually, you know, training the teachers and delivering on the ground. And there's quite a diversity of um, different organizations, different groups who are doing a superb job on that. Yeah, mindfulness might be a simple little thing, but what it takes to make it work, and especially on this kind of a level, much bigger than we'd ever imagined. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, thank you, Yoga. It's absolutely amazing having you here on this podcast and still feeling those goosebumps. And I'll definitely be um, having a look and following the amazing things that you're doing. Well, thank you, Lena, very much. It's really a fantastic this opportunity of sharing it with a wider audience. And, and congratulations to you on the fantastic job you're doing to making all these important things available to these huge audiences. Absolutely. Love spreading the light. Love and hope. For more ways on how you could be the change in the world, or more importantly, to be the experience you want to be in the world, 
head on over to www.lenaski.com. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe to SoundCloud or iTunes to get more supernova greatness. Till next week, this has been your invitation to greatness. Are you ready to showcase it with the world? Are you up for playing it forward?